0: inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with us. So that's why I wanted to make sure, if you did not get last week's handout, that you have it. I'll keep bringing copies for anybody new along the way. And hopefully most weeks I'll try and get a handout for you. But the one thing we do have, not that it's much, right? But if you look at the top, the the focal passage for today is printed here. um, And there is space for taking a few notes if you are so inclined. So today I want to look at the kingdom of heaven. If you go to the, the big ideas of Matthew, that is one of the big ideas. He talks about the kingdom of heaven a lot. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven a lot. And so I want to begin with sort of the first reference in Matthew, which is slightly before our main passage. And it's, it's the very beginning of chapter 3. It's talking about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John the Baptist is out there telling people, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're to see this a lot. My goal is that hopefully by the end of this we'll have a better sense of what he means by the kingdom of heaven. But this passage here that Matthew references from the prophet Isaiah is actually from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And I do want to go back there because I have found it's very helpful as you read these quotes of Old Testament um, prophecy to go back and read a little bit before and be and after because it often is making a statement about Jesus. Something very useful. Not just the little bit they quote there, but when you realize the whole context, there is a bigger message about Jesus being told. And so I have found it profitable to go back to this. So verses 3 through 5 of Isaiah 40. And I promise we won't be doing a ton of jumping around, but... A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And if you were here last week, or if you have the handout, you see one of the big ideas, probably the biggest idea, or the number two biggest idea, is that the people of God have been redefined. You're not the people of God just because your mom or dad were Jewish. You're the people of God because you respond to Christ in faith. And so this passage in Isaiah is really taking us to a prophecy about something that the Jews in the time of Jesus had forgotten, which is that the glory of the Lord was going to be revealed to everyone, that everyone is going to see it together. And so we're back to that theme of the people of God being redefined, that universality that Christ came not just for the people of Israel, but for all who have put their faith in him. So we're getting another one of those big idea references as we, as we dig in here. The other thing that this passage brings to mind where it talks about John the Baptist and the messenger out preparing the way is Malachi 3.1, which talks about the messenger preparing the way and then the Lord suddenly coming to the temple well, the the Lord didn't come to the temple between the time of Malachi and the time of Jesus. There's you know, the presence of God, the cloud, that never came on the second temple. So the time that the Lord comes suddenly on the temple are the times when Jesus comes into the temple in the New Testament. So again, we get a little bit of a reference there. And we have to realize, as we talked about last week, these books are excellently written, so these are very skillfully weaving together. So there's not just the you know what we see the first time we read but there is something new and fresh every time we read the gospels because god is able to write and inspire in such a in such a way so then we jump ahead to chapter 4 that's where i want to spend most of our time today matthew chapter 4 and starting in verses 12 through 17 again i'll just i'll read it follow along if you'd like or just listen along now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So this is the triggering point for Jesus to begin his ministry. John has finished preparing the way. He's now arrested. He's going to eventually be beheaded. So the way has been prepared. It is time for Jesus to begin ministering. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, before we dig into the kingdom of heaven, I want to take a little bit of a sidebar We won't hopefully take too long. And I want to take a little sidebar on Old Testament fulfillment because that was another of the big ideas. And just in these little bits that I've read so far, we've already seen at least two cases where the Old Testament is being quoted right there by Matthew and saying Jesus is the fulfillment or John the Baptist is the fulfillment, that that these are the times in which the Old Testament prophecy is being fulfilled. That gets back to our, our number one big idea from the book of Matthew, right? that the end Of the age has dawned in Christ. And so I just want to talk a little bit about fulfillment because that's one that we don't understand very well in English, what they meant as first century writers. We project what we think it means based on the English use of the word fulfillment, which is fine as long as we don't actually read some of those Old Testament verses. But when we read some of them, we're like, how's that a fulfillment? Right, so I'll I'll just uh, talk briefly. Right, we always think of fulfillment as there's a prophecy that says X is going to happen, and so the fulfillment is that X happens. Right, that's the most common use of fulfillment. I think that's what I've used to always assume was meant, and it's important if you're reading Matthew. Right, if you if you took the time to read those first four chapters of Matthew, it's like every other verse. And this was to fulfill this, and this was to fulfill this, and this was to fulfill this. It actually goes on all the way through Matthew. Old Testament fulfillment is a huge thing for him because he's sending a message about who Jesus is. He is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So there is prediction. That is one kind of fulfillment. That's this one here. That is the most common thing we have in mind. And there is a lot of that in the Bible. I think it's very cool. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff in the Old Testament that gets fulfilled, and I love it. There is also, in the Greek and Hebrew concept, in their mentality, their understanding of fulfillment, there is also a notion of completion or perfection. Perfection. Now, we're going to start talking about the Sermon on the Mount next week, and that's going to take, I think, four weeks, if I remember my plan right. Um, We could talk about it for years, but we're going to take four weeks. And there's a point in there where he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And what that, I think, my interpretation of that is that it is most focused on he is here to complete and perfect the law. He is why there is no need to continue the sacrifices under the law because he has been the perfection of the sacrificial system. If you're here on Sunday, we're going to talk about that a lot. It can also mean to that first century writer drawing out implications of something, It can mean, and this is one we share in English, it can mean satisfying a request or desire, like order fulfillment, like I I ordered a pizza and it was fulfilled. And then probably the one that is most commonly going on in the new testament or in matthew in particular i don't know i don't know if it's the most common but it's very common and the one that's probably the most common for the new testament is the correlation of two events at two different times you see to the writers of the bible particularly the writers of the new testament They understood that God is a consistent God. He tends to work in the same way over time. And so they see that he can work one time, and then he works in a better better version of that even later. Not better because God didn't do it well the first time, but he does it in a more spectacular fashion. So they sort of viewed history as a little bit of a spiral up. And they understood that they were standing at the top of the spiral because Jesus was there. And so they realized that in many cases, Jesus is functioning and doing the things that someone in the past did. And so they'll talk about Jesus as the perfect David, right? David was a really good king, but he had kind of a big problem. Jesus, as we saw last week, right? Matthew makes a big deal about his link to David. Jesus is the perfect David. He's the perfect king. You'll see correlation between Israel, which was supposed to be the son of God in a figurative sense, and messed up, and Jesus, the perfect son of God, who did not mess up. The, the, um, Matthew, in I think chapter 2, talks. He, he says, to fulfill the prophecy out of Egypt, I called my son. If you ever look that passage up, it's a terrible passage. It's like the rest of that passage is how awful Israel is. Right? The whole that whole thing is not, and so it's not like it's not a prophecy the way we think of a prophecy like and my son will come out of Israel or out of Egypt and go to Israel. It's Israel, my son is terrible. And so this is the correlation to say Jesus is the opposite of that. He is the true son and he's perfect. So what Israel was supposed to do, come out of Israel and be perfect but failed, Jesus did do. He came out of Egypt and went to Israel and was perfect. I think I just reversed my countries a minute ago, but that's correlation. That's a very common version of the um, fulfillment. If you were going to the ladies' Bible study, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's their focus, is this idea of how Old Testament, the events of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament then find their perfection in Christ so that they are pointing forward. It's a, to use a seminary word, it's a typological reading of the Old Testament. It's the thing that Jesus does in Luke 24 when he's walking with his disciples after he's been resurrected, and he shows them how all of the Old Testament scripture points to him. And it's this idea of correlation and typology, that he is the perfection of all the things that came before that point to him. So that's my little sidebar on, on Old Testament fulfillment. Um, as I've tried to encourage last week, ask questions. Right? If I kind of ran through Old Testament fulfillment in a hurry. Uh, ask questions at any point. By the way, if anything's not working for you, let me know. I, I learned it after last week. Only use the black markers. The others are not viewable from the Second and third row. So, by all means, just let me know sooner. So, let's get back to the kingdom of heaven. All right. So, in verse 17, Jesus repeats exactly what John the Baptist said Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I've got to tell you that for many, many years, I kind of struggled with what does that mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Like, what is the kingdom of heaven? Is that heaven? Is the kingdom of heaven heaven? kind of Is that something that only comes at the, when you die and go to heaven and you're in the kingdom of heaven? Is it what comes when Jesus returns? I really wasn't very clear on the kingdom of heaven. Maybe I'm the only one. But I struggle with that a lot. But I am convinced that Matthew immediately shows us what the kingdom of heaven is and then continues to do it for the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'm going to skip a few because the the next little bit is him calling his first disciples. And then we get to to the part which is also on your handout, which is verses 23 to 25. That's our, our focus here. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he went through all Galilee. There are a ton of villages and towns in Galilee. It talks about teaching in synagogues. You could only do that once a week. So this is covering a fairly substantial period of time in three sentences. Now, I think structurally, in fact, this is a summary header for what happens in the next five chapters, and I'll explain why I think that in a little bit. So really, this is the the overview of what happens in Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. He goes throughout all Galilee, Doing three things teaching, proclaiming good news of the kingdom. Right, my translation said gospel. I'm going to go ahead and translate that from Middle English to Modern English and say good news. All right. That's all gospel means. And healing. Three actions that he takes throughout all of Galilee. So over a significant amount of time. Then in verse 24... Yeah, after, he is, after he is taught, he has proclaimed the good news. He has healed every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. Now Syria is a province to the north of Galilee, so he is such a rock star, if I may use that term, right? such a celebrity that he is now famous not just in Galilee, but in the province to the north, a province full of Gentiles. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. So he kind of just did for a bunch of Gentiles what he had been doing for a bunch of the Jewish people. right? So we're back to one of those big ideas, that the kingdom of heaven is for all people, that the people of God have been redefined, that Jesus is here not just for ethnic Jews, he's here for everyone who is excited and puts their faith in him. He has these subtle little, little details, it's so rich in the Gospels. That's why you just I never get tired reading them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. As a little side note, if you were to hold this up next to um, chapter 3, which talks about the popularity of John the Baptist, who is a celebrity in his own right, and he gets the people from Ju- Jerusalem and Judea and the Jordan. So there's a subtle message. Jesus is a bigger celebrity than John the Baptist because he's also got these other people coming, the Decapolis, right, Galilee. And again, culturally, Galilee is mixed, Jews and Gentiles together. The Decapolis is largely Gentile. Jerusalem and Judea, pretty much all Jewish. East of the Jordan, mostly Jewish. So again, he's here for everybody. Right. Look at all the meaning that Matthew is packing in every sentence of the gospel. And so I want us to hold on to these three things. Teaching, proclaiming good news, and healing. Don't lose track of them. Now you do not need to flip to the Bible if you don't want. I'm going to flip to the Bible. Really quick, 10,000 foot level for the next five chapters of Matthew. Chapters five, six, and seven are the Sermon on the Mount. Teaching. Chapter eight. The teaching part's done. Alright, he said the the phrase that always marks that Matthew's done with a with a long speech. He cleanses a leper. He heals a, a servant of a centurion, right, and praises that man, a Gentile, for his faith. There's only two people, by the way, in the book of Matthew who get praised for having great faith. They're both Gentiles. right? No Jews get praised in the book of Matthew for their faith. He heals a lot of people. He calms a storm. He casts out two demons. We get to chapter 9. He heals a paralytic. He forgives sins. right? He restores a girl to life. He stops the bleeding of a woman who's been bleeding for years and years. He heals two blind men. He heals someone who cannot speak. So he's going through in each of these places. He is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing. So verses chapters 5 through 9 are really the expansion of chapter 4, and it's showing us these three activities over and over and over again, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And at the very end of chapter 9, in verse 35, we get, we get a bookend. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Right, this is a phrase that bookends perfectly, almost word for word, with chapter 4, verse 23. When you see that book ending, that was a technique for writers in those days that said everything in here is about the same subject. And I think that subject is the kingdom of heaven, because generally they say what the subject is with those two bookend things. So Matthew has given us this very clear bookend. Okay, I've got a section here about Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. It runs from ch- end of chapter 4 through the end of chapter 9, and it's about three things, teaching, proclaiming good news, and healing. If you really care, there's a fancy word for the bookend. It's inclusio. I like the word bookend because I have a hard time remembering the word inclusio. you know that word? Good. Yes, good. When we do the Gospel of Mark, I'll get to use the word intercalation, which I do like to use, but yeah, come back next year. So after we get through chapter 9, we get into chapter 10, right? I'm not going to read it, but he Sends his disciples to go out and proclaim and heal. And so I think the message here, and he's pretty explicit about it if you read Luke ten nine, um, is that Jesus Himself is the kingdom of heaven, he brings the kingdom of heaven. And what the kingdom of heaven looks like is truth, right? Encouragement, good news, God's mercy, and healing, restoration. And what we do is we get back to that big story of the Bible I talked about last week. Right? There's, I've mentioned it sometimes, too, in sermons. Right? There's the, the whole Bible, taken as a whole, 66 books, tells one big story in four sections. God created a perfect world. Creation. We messed it up. We messed it up really, really bad. But God always had a plan. That's redemption. And ultimately, the end of the story is that he is going to create that perfect. He's going to recreate that. He's going to make it perfect again. The The creation will be renewed. Earth, heaven, people, perfected. All right, so that's the end. And what he's saying here is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and what the things he is doing are about those restoration, right? So, so when the fall took place, it brought with it things like pain, suffering, sickness, lies, death, and power of the devil over, over the, the world. And what he is demonstrating as he lives out. In chapters 4 through 9, and of course, everywhere else, but the point is really being driven home here, he is reversing each of those things. Right Where the fall brought sickness, Jesus brings healing. Where the fall brought pain and suffering, he is relieving the pain and suffering. The kingdom of heaven is the reversal of these things. Where the fall brought death, Jesus restores a little girl to life where the fall gives power to the devil over significant portions of the world, Jesus drives demons out. So the point that the kingdom of heaven is here is that it is reversing the destruction of the fall. It is the beginning of the new creation. Ultimately, the perfection, the conclusion of the kingdom of heaven is the new creation, that perfection. And the point is, it started. Right? Like a like a small group parachuting behind enemy lines, Jesus and his disciples are deep behind enemy lines, beginning to reverse the work of Satan in the world. When we get to our night where we talk about chapter 13 and the parables of the kingdom, we're going to see the kingdom of heaven starts small. The kingdom of heaven starts invisible, like that team that parachutes behind enemy lines but it's going to grow, and that's the message of those parables in chapter 13. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The end of the age has dawned in Christ. That's the message that Matthew is bringing here, and that that as we unfold the Gospels, we're going to see that ultimately that message is passed on to, in every one of the Gospels in the book of Acts, it's passed on to the disciples, to the church, ultimately to this church, ultimately to us, to be part of those people working behind enemy lines to build the kingdom of heaven, working to serve God, to move towards new creation. And the message that those are going to give us is that, okay, we've seen what Jesus did. And then in chapter 10, he sent his closest disciples to go out and do the same thing. And then, as we read the rest of the Gospels, and as you look at the, the teaching of the of the New Testament and the epistles, we are now supposed to pick up where they left off. We are supposed to be doing the things he did. We're supposed to be teaching the truth, right? Jesus tells us we're salt and light. The light is talking about teaching the truth. We're supposed to be proclaiming good news about the kingdom, right? That we're supposed to be bringing the good news of God's love, right? His ultimate love through Christ's sacrifice. And we're supposed to be working to heal a broken world. Not that we'll ever finish. That's God's work. Right? He'll finish it. But we're called to be a part of it, and that's awesome. That we are called to be part of trying to make our community better, trying to help those who need it, caring for the sick. Right? Just trying to glorify God by working for justice here in this community, work for blessing in this community, not independent and alone of these other things but as an integral part of that. See, we're also told to be salt, right? Salt and light. We think of salt as being tasty, and it was 2,000 years ago. But its real purpose 2,000 years ago was not flavor. It was preservation because they didn't have refrigerators. So for us to be salt, we're supposed to be out in the community preserving and improving the culture and the community around us. And so we do these things, we teach, we proclaim, we heal. It's not just by being here on Sunday morning. It's not just by our beliefs and our faith. Now, our faith is all it takes to be saved, right? I want to be clear on that, 100% clear on that. But our role in the kingdom is not just from our belief, but it is living these things out in our actions, in our lives. And Jesus, we see when we look at chapter 4, right what did he do he he did all three of these things simultaneously right he went through all galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people as we encounter him again and again in the gospels we see there is no like today's my day i do healings come back tomorrow and i'll teach you something It is this constant flow back and forth. People come with different needs. Some need the truth. Some need a touch of healing. Some need a word of encouragement about the gospel. And he's doing them all at the same time. And that ultimately is how we are called to try and live, too, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we are clearly in a broken world. That gets more and more evident every day. Right? We are also behind enemy lines, and so we have a responsibility. Right? That responsibility, I certainly believe, is in the Great Commission, which in some form or fashion is in every one of the Gospels. It's in the Book of Acts, Right, variations on understanding this, Right, that we have a responsibility to be part of making disciples. That's the job of a church, but it is also the responsibility of each of us to be part of that. And for some of us, that looks like doing specific, you know, preaching or or worship music. It might look like missionary work. But for others of us, it looks like going to our jobs, going to our kids' schools or sporting events and living the kingdom, proclaiming good news. You know, why are you not going around moping and depressed? Well, I've got some good news. Right. You see someone in need, healing. Right. Even if it means the risk of being taken advantage of. We all have a role to play. And that's what's cool, right? The kingdom of God, because it is supernaturally powered, there's a role for every single person. If you are not physically able to get out and do much, you can pray. And that's huge. The kingdom needs prayer. For some, it's the ability to give extraordinary amounts. For others... You don't have anything to give, particularly so in the financial realm, so you give in other ways, you serve, you live that out. So we each have a role to play. I love Ephesians two verses eight through ten, which kind of summarizes it well better than I'll ever do. Because Paul's like that. This Bible is the hardest Bible for me to find passages. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Well, that's good news. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And each of our good works are different. My good works are different from Dallas's good works but they are prepared for us to do as we serve behind enemy lines. It is an unfortunate truth in our modern era that for many evangelicals, that's us, right, we tend to get really focused on the truth aspect. We're very happy to sit in our church and just talk about the truth, celebrate the truth, argue about the truth, argue with other Christians who we think don't have the truth quite right, right? We, we lament that other people don't know the truth. We're astounded that they don't seem to care. We get so focused in on the truth. And if that describes us, if we're so truth-heavy, well, that's kind of a fail from a kingdom of heaven perspective because we've overweighted on one of the three things, right? We've got the truth, Aware where are the other two? Because we are also called to proclaim good news. Right? And Jesus shows us the good news. He illustrates the good news. He is the good news. Now, one of the other lamentable facts is that quite often, Christians, I'm not saying any of us, of course, the ones are on TV, don't seem like they're actually giving people very good news. They seem like they're kind of giving them bad news. They kind of seem like they're unfun people, right? That they're the fun police, so they're just there to criticize and nitpick and criticize uh, choices and, and tell you how you need to live your life. And it doesn't feel like very good news to people who don't know the truth yet. So we sometimes do a really bad job of sharing the good news, of proclaiming the good news. The good news ought to be kind of bubbling out of us, right? That the good news is God's love and mercy, and it's broken into the world. That's what Jesus is saying in chapter 4, right? The the kingdom is at hand. God's mercy is breaking through. The Old Testament is this time of anticipation. They're waiting for this great time to come. It's going to come. We know it's going to come. As we go into Malachi on Sundays for the next six weeks, we're going to see they're like... uh, I don't think it's come yet. And it doesn't come for a really long time. And Jesus now says, it's come. It's started. But surprise, it's a long process. And all y'all have to be involved in bringing this in. Telling people about God's love and his mercy that's breaking into the world, right? There's forgiveness for sins, though we certainly don't deserve it. There's everlasting life through faith in Jesus, right? So it's back to the to the truth. Well, we got to make sure we got the the part where it actually sounds like good news. Sounds like good news to somebody who's never heard it before. Sounds like somebody who sounds like good news to somebody who's eh, living a reasonably comfortable middle-class life and really doesn't feel like their news is that bad that day. They have to feel the good news. And then once Once they can realize that, once you have absorbed this good news, right? if you're the sort of person who tends to be a little bit dour, a little bit negative to those unbelievers, a little aghast that unbelievers sin, right? which should not be a surprise, once you realize that good news for yourself, and you realize that it's the good news that drives the change in behavior, not, hey, you need to change. This book that I like that you've never read before tells you to, which is not a very compelling case. That's the second third of the kingdom mandate. That's the second third of what Jesus is showing the kingdom of heaven to be. And then there's the part where we're supposed to be working to make this world a better place. Not that it's ever going to be a perfect place until God intervenes and makes it so. But nonetheless, the responsibility that Jesus had, that he gave to his disciples... But he tells us to be salt in our community. Is to be out there demonstrating what it means for God's mercy to break into the world. It's not just that we tell people, hey, we got good news. God's, God's mercy is in the world. Keep suffering. <laughs> got to be down here. That's the third part of the kingdom. The third part of the kingdom. Helping people actually feel the mercy of God through us. The love of God through us. Right? Jesus did all three continuously, and that's what we should be trying to do, right? Not just overweight on one. And I would say that if you look around, most, I will stereotype a little bit. most churches in the United States tend to overweight one of these three. They pick the one that they like the best, and they go all in on it. right? So they may go all in on the truth, and that sounds harsh. It sounds hard. It sounds brutal. It's not. doesn't sound like good news, right? People who are not part of the kingdom don't want to hear that truth. Or a church might go all in on making the world a better place, and they forget the part where this world is going to be replaced by the new creation. That what we have in this life is temporary, and if you only work on making this world better, you're just going to be frustrated because this world is never going to be healed all the way until Christ returns. And so they miss the part where they're supposed to be proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we go through these next few weeks, or I guess really next several months, right? as we look at Jesus through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, as we look at the big ideas that are being brought out, they're being made clear, the things he most clearly and compellingly stood for, the reason that these people were willing to die to proclaim the good news. We're going to see just the way as it unfolds, the way he did all three of these things, right? He never hesitated to tell somebody the truth. But he never hesitated to heal them either. He never hesitated to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. But just when you thought you were doing really well, he'd get back to telling you some truth that you needed to hear. Right, and I think that's that's one of the things I hope we will see, one of the things that I hope we will get excited about is the way that he perfectly has the answer for every situation, right? The truth, the good news, the healing. These are things that only come through Jesus Christ. I pray that we can claim them for ourselves, but that we'll also be faithful in sharing them with others. So let's pray, and then we will... Uh, I'll give another shot for questions and then you can wander out and collect your kids. Yes, I just gonna comment uh, we talked about before uh, in our outreach groups, uh, the churches that you find in a number of areas, the main reason that people gather out in the church is exactly what you're talking about here. Just people have over it, they don't see That's the land that lens that hasn't functioned Yeah, if They see your the Pharisaism is alive and well in just about every one of our hearts in some way or form or fashion. Other questions before we pray? (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the faithful record of your son Jesus. We thank you for the good news of the kingdom of heaven. that The kingdom of heaven is here, right here in Lakeridge right here in these neighborhoods around this building. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us tonight. I pray that you would help each of us to to see your son more clearly, to love him more dearly, and to live out that example to the best of our ability and to the best of the ability you give us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the real power for change and strength. That you would help us to be faithful in proclaiming the truth, but doing it with an eye towards making sure everyone understands this is good news. And that God's mercy and love is infinite. He is here to bring healing, spiritual healing, relief, comfort. Often through his direct power, but often through our power and willingness to walk alongside someone who's in need. So Jesus' name we pray. Amen.